minimists. <laughs> we have so many questions about minimizing clutter. But Ryan, yeah. before we get to that, we have an article. I feel like this is going to be a throwback episode in a way, but you and I, our, our perspective continues to change as sure. we evolve. And I think it's more nuanced than us writing about decluttering. I, I find that I'm not as militant as maybe I was at age 29 when mm -hmm. I first discovered this thing called minimalism. Yeah. And, um, I, I think that militance was good in the moment. Mm-hmm. It forced me to make some changes, but now, because my life's different and I have a seven-year-old daughter, it's much harder to be a minimalist, but it's also, in many ways, so much more important for mm. the relationships around us yeah. to be minimalists, because when I wasn't a minimalist, I was so focused on the wrong things too often. It's not the things are wrong, it's not the stuff is wrong, mm -hmm. it's that when our focus is so aggregated toward the material world, it is removed from that which is important. Mm. You could call it the spiritual world or just the emotional world, the, the uh, interpersonal world. Uh, all, all of that is cluttered by clutter, right? Mm -hmm. And so I've got this article here because I think this is this is our good friend Joshua Becker, by the way. He runs a phenomenal website. If you're not familiar, it's called becomingminimalist.com. There are four people who inspired me and Ryan early on in this whole minimalist journey. And Joshua Becker, his wife Kim, they're in our first film, uh, Minimalism. They were actually in our second film for a while. That part got cut, unfortunately, oh, as yeah. did a lot of my, Ryan and Ryan's part. So yeah. don't feel bad, Becker. <laughs> but... Um, he and his wife are in our new book as well, Love People Use Things. But uh, Becoming Minimalist is a phenomenal site for resources. Uh, he writes a lot about decluttering, about letting go, about simplifying. And this article here, this little segment we have is called More About Less, where we read an article at the beginning of the private podcast. It allows us to have this jump-off point for discussion. This is from Joshua Becker. Feel... Guilty about getting rid of stuff? Question mark? Don't. As we minimize possessions, how do we overcome the guilt of money spent on things in the past? As part of Uncluttered, that's a course he offers, I answer a lot of questions from participants as they seek to own less. I've answered thousands over the years, and by far one of the most common questions I hear is, what do I do about all the money that I wasted on Things. How do I get rid of things that I spent so much money on? This is a significant roadblock for many people, and I want to try to answer that question for you today. I like to accomplish this in three ways. Uh, first, by introduction of a, an accounting principle, and then by reminding each of us about two truths about life that are incredibly important. First, the accounting principle of sunk costs. Mm. He goes in to talk about what sunk cost is. I won't read the whole article. We're going to put the link to this in the show notes. But people, you, you probably know this as the sunk cost fallacy. The best example I have is Ryan and I used to work in telecom. And you could buy a BlackBerry phone brand new without a contract. It's about $500. Yeah. And if I still had that BlackBerry phone in my drawer, the last time I used a BlackBerry was in 2012 for any extended period of time. Yeah. So if... 
nine years later now. Yeah. If I were to pull that out of the drawer now, it's not still worth five hundred dollars. Right. It might not be worth five dollars. Right. Yeah. No one. Yeah. Who would pay five bucks for that? Hold on to it long enough, though, <laughs> to become a relic. You yeah. know, it's interesting, and this is like a total aside, but that BlackBerry that retail for five hundred dollars. Mm-hmm. It's like I didn't realize until working for the phone company. Yeah. That our phone company paid like four ninety five. Four hundred ninety five dollars. Some cases for that even more than the retail price. It's crazy. Yeah, it's it, crazy. And, and but it's funny how I mean. But I, I, the reason why I bring this up is because it speaks to how we, uh, I don't know how we we devalue things so quickly and how easily it is to devalue something. Because what you do is, as a new customer, you sign on, you get a BlackBerry for say fifty bucks, mm-hmm. and then you drop in the toilet the next day and you go back to the store. And you're like, oh, I want another BlackBerry for fifty bucks. And the store's like, yeah, we can't do that. Right. But it's but it's the company's fault for devaluing the thing yeah, that a, they gave the customer. It's yeah. It's an American thing, and I think yeah. we're actually finally starting to get out of that to a certain extent. There's another pernicious thing that's happening right now, though. Mm-hmm. Um, many of you have gone into debt, and you don't even know it, to buy a cell phone. Mm-hmm. There's payment plans for cell phones now. Like Verizon yeah. will put your iPhone on a two- or three-year plan. and Oh, it's just 7 or 12 bucks a month or something. No, no, no. That's debt. That's like a car payment. I mean, a miniature car payment, but still, we don't want to finance a a piece of electronics, whether it's a computer or a phone. We should buy only the things that we can afford. How do we know we can afford it? Because we have the money and it's the best use of that money. Yeah. Those are six questions. There's six questions that we ask in, in our new book about what should I do before buying something what question should i ask and one is can i afford it yeah and the the other question one of one of the other six questions is is this is this the best use of this money Mm -hmm. and because you just because you can afford something that's not a great excuse to buy it yeah i guess i could afford a well probably couldn't afford a lamborghini car payment but like (laughs) uh, uh, a mercedes-benz car payment well yeah right exactly i could probably afford it yeah but that's not a good reason to buy it this is a good topic for the sunk cost thing because when you go to buy something like an iPhone, look at the sunk cost mm-hmm. of you know what what the sunk cost will eventually be if you spend the money on that iPhone. So if you, so if you spend a thousand dollars on an iPhone and uh, yeah you you plan on you know selling it the next year, you're not going to get a thousand dollars back. So the question is: Is is this the best use of my money? Yeah. Is this the best use of the five hundred dollars? Because you might be able to sell it for five hundred bucks the next year. Mm. Um, and but, what that really yeah. is is an emotional attachment, right? Yeah. Businesses know about this in accounting. It's called depreciation. Mm-hmm. When you buy an asset that depreciates, you account for that over the course of however many years it depreciates, right? Mm-hmm. And there's no emotional attachment to that typewriter or right. whatever. It's just like, yeah, we bought the the typewriter and it was $100 and it depreciates $10 every year for 10 years until it's worth zero. And then they still have it or they don't, but it's no longer worth anything, anything. to them, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. And, and we can look at it the same way as individuals and, and, and realize that, it's worth only what someone is willing to pay for it, not what you were willing to pay for it in the past. This makes me think about um, sunk costs. Makes me think about hoarders and how these episodes of hoarders, all of them, hold on to food that's expired, and they all have the same excuse of like, "Well, that could feed a family," and it's like, "Well, if it's expired, you might be poisoning a family." Mm-hmm. And with something, it's not just sunk cost with money. It's sunk cost with with resources. You think, 
oh, well, you know, it's better for me to hang on to it in my pantry just in case for whatever reason than it is to get rid of it. But it's even with material things, there is a sunk cost. Uh, The same thing goes with people who ask us about, well, what do I do about all this waste? I've got all this, you know, I've got a storage unit full of stuff. Uh, I, I can't donate most of it. It's just really trash. Um, I can't, you know, I can't justify putting it into a landfill. It's like, well, if you put it into a landfill, well, first off, you can probably recycle some of it, but yeah. let's say you can't, let's say all that has to go into a landfill. The landfill is a better spot for it than sitting in a storage unit. Cause at least it'll decompose faster in a landfill than sitting in your storage unit. I right. mean, uh, either your, you know, your, your, your landfill is in the storage or it's in the ground. Um, but yeah, there, there's a sunk cost thing there with, with physical possessions that, um, it's hard for some people to accept for sure yeah it's and, and by the way i love the expiration date thing because we can in fact we have a rule for this the 90 90 rule have i we call it the seasonality rule in the minimalist rule book but mm-hmm. it, it have i used this in the last 90 days mm-hmm. will i use this in the next 90 days and if not i give myself permission to let go that's an expiration date mm-hmm. it's basically going to expire in the next 90 days unless i wear it right mm-hmm. or use it or whatever it's mm-hmm. like if i have a jacket that i'm not haven't worn the last 90 days, not going to wear in the next 90, then it's expiring, so to speak. Mm-hmm. At least it's expiring for me. The difference is with that, other than the hoarded food, which is just trash, the, the jacket can be upcycled, recycled. Someone else can get value from it just because I'm done getting value from it doesn't mean that, oh, well, I need to bury this. Well, yeah, I can, I can get rid of it, allow someone else to get value from it. Yeah. Now, Becker moves on to say, second, there are two truths about life to help us overcome guilt. Number one, we cannot change the past. We simply cannot go back and redo any events from our past. There are countless moments and decisions I wish I could undo, mm. but the reality of life is that it is not possible ever. Isn't that the thing, man? I mean, the, yeah. this regret thing of like, oh, I wish I would have, I, w- I wish I would have done this. And yeah, of course, but wishing does me no good. In fact, it, it does the opposite of good because of the psychological cost of all that that wishing. You stay stuck. Yeah, yeah. I, I've by never way, thought of it that way. Um, someone holding on to something because of guilt. You're you're preventing yourself from moving on. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, and, and so hmm. the best way to let to move on is to let go to to stop carrying that weight. Think hmm. about it as a metaphor here. If you're in the desert, but you have all these this baggage with you, mm-hmm. if you want to get out of there, you better set the baggage down and and at least as much of it as you can in order to keep going. Right now, I, I'm thinking about this changing the past thing, the wish thing the wish list is Mm -hmm. not just a thing on amazon but we actually have wish lists Mm -hmm. right and i think that can be good if it's aspirational that's forward looking right Mm -hmm. but when it's back when a wish list is backward looking it's a moot wish list there's nothing unless the things already happened like i wish we would have started a podcast ryan oh great Check that off. It's already done, mm, right? Mm-hmm. So your wish list should, if you're going to have one at all, a New Year's wish list or just a wish list in general, it should always be looking forward. He's right. You cannot change the past. When it comes to overcoming the guilt of an expensive purchase, unless the tags are still on the item, you cannot go back and unpurchase the item. It's done. It's over. It happened. And nothing is going to change that fact. I hope you got that podcast, Sean. Which makes the second truth about life even more important. 
We cannot change the past, but we can always learn from it. When we learn life lessons from our past mistakes and determine to not make them again in the future, we begin to redeem the past. It begins to serve us and contributes to a brighter and better future. We cannot undo the purchase decision, but the money becomes less wasted when we learn a lesson from it. Yeah. Man, I love that. You could just tweeze that out and tweet that podcast, Sean. Although, of course, attribute the quote to at Joshua underscore Becker, maybe on Twitter. <laughs> yeah. I don't know where he, maybe he's at becoming minimalist. I'm not sure. Um, but w whatever he is, you, we can find him on, on Twitter, but he, uh, he brings up a great point here. Yes. The money, it sucks. You paid the, the thousand bucks for the iPhone, but maybe it's a thousand dollar lesson. In yeah. A way. Yeah. And, and there, there's something, there are things that you and I have wasted plenty of money on in the past. And while I can't get that money back, I can learn a lesson from it. I think mm. most of the time though, we choose not to learn the lesson. Yeah. But, well, I mean, that goes with mistakes in general, right? It's like the way that I can get over some, I don't know, guilt that I carry with me from past mistakes, uh, which I do. Like, I'll have guilt, you know, come up from, I don't know, 10 years ago of doing something. And the way that I get over it is thinking about, okay, uh, how or what have I done to correct those mistakes what have i done to make up for those mistakes i'm not even make up for but how have i course corrected to make sure i don't make that mistake again right and the guilt still might be there but um you know you can do one or two things with that guilt you can learn from it or you can use it to continue to make the same mistakes and give up and uh when it comes to our things i think you have two options you could either use that guilt to hang on to something and to not take action or yeah you can take it and look at it as a thousand dollar lesson to move on and not make that mistake again i think that guilt often will turn into shame for you as well right because yeah. at some point it's like oh i'm guilty for so let, let's talk about the, the distinction between guilt and and shame guilt is oh i did this thing shame is i am the type of person who does this thing mm -hmm. and by the way those two get tangled they get complected together interwoven together right whenever we do the guilty thing in perpetuity or just repeatedly right mm -hmm. in rapid succession or you know, multiple times even mm -hmm. whenever we ah uh, you know it's i made this bad decision with money i made this bad decision with money i made this bad decision with money all of a sudden all these guilt points add up to sh uh, shame right mm -hmm. and all of a sudden, it's, oh, I'm the type of person who makes bad decisions with money. And that's not where you want to be. Yeah. Right? Well, how do you change that? It's also by changing the behaviors. Mm -hmm. The way you become a person who doesn't make bad decisions with money is if you become a, if you start making good decisions with money. Because then in time, you'll, because I was a person who made bad decisions with money, Ryan. Throughout my 20s, lots of debt. You just misspent money. And, and then... So I, I felt the shame of being the person, that type of person. Mm. But then I started making good decisions with money. And it wasn't just one good decision, repeated decisions over a protracted period of time. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, a decade later, or less than that, five years later, I became the type of person who made good decisions with money, even though I was making less money than what I was in the corporate world. Yeah. So I want you to think about that. Yes, you can learn the lesson there. Now, Ryan, a few people asked us about our own New Year's resolutions. So I'm going to lose a million pounds. <laughs> wow. <laughs> but first I have to gain 980,000 pounds. <laughs> <laughs> Probably more than that, but yeah, uh, <laughs> somewhere around there. Yeah. Yeah. So 
um, on the minimal episode, you and I talked about how the problem with New Year's resolutions is that they all start off too big and grandiose and unattainable. And what does that mean? It means they're discouraging. Mm -hmm. But we want them to be encouraging, meaning they propel us into some sort of action because they're difficult enough that it feels like we're making a difference, but they're simple and even easy enough that we can stick to it and we feel compelled to do the thing. So for me, I'm just going to throw out a, a really simple one for me. And this one is extremely simple, but it's to do some sort of cardio exercise every single day. Mm. Now, I already do it probably on an average week, five days a week. Mm. And I, I really go overboard with, with it some, some weeks. And so all I need to do is actually slow down a little bit and spread it out every day and cardio doesn't have to be full on runs or sprints which I, i've been doing sprints lately mm. and uh, i've been doing the bike as well but it could simply be a brisk walk for 15 minutes around the block that can count as my cardio doing something that enables me to you know do this streak so that i'm able to keep it up and by the way if i miss a day it's okay i'm not going to say it's all over now I, it's funny, brisk. I really don't know what the meaning of that word is. Uh, really? I thought it meant cold. <laughs> cold or quick? Or is it short for brisket? <laughs> yes, I go on a brisket walk. <laughs> uh, I have a giant piece of uh, <laughs> tofu-based meat in my mouth. <laughs> oh, man. Um, I don't know why. That what would like a fake brisket be called? A misket? Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Almost a brisket? <laughs> yeah. Just misket. The impossible brisket. The impossible brisket. The toe frisket? Mm-hmm. I like that. I like that, Jordan. Um, I, okay, here, I'll throw something out. Um, so I try to show Mariah on a daily basis. Uh, I try to go out of my way to show her that I love her. I am going to go out of my way twice a day to show her that I love her. And uh, I got to tell you that it really means a lot to Mariah, but also it gets me in the habit of showing appreciation because I do appreciate everything uh, about about Mariah and yeah, I look forward to showing her that. I think that's killer. What I really like about that is it, you already it, you already feel that appreciation inwardly, and and I think sometimes it's a, a cultural stigma. We need to keep that in. We don't want to coddle other people. Mm-hmm. And I get it. We don't also we don't want to be insincere, right? But if we feel it in here, it almost feels like it's selfish to not show it, right? Mm. It's it lacks compassion yeah. in a way. And so by, by you simply allowing that feeling to come out, not only does it make her feel better, but when you feel better, when she feels better, you feel better. Mm-hmm. And I think the same is true with the, the, the daily cardio for me. I know that sometimes I don't want to do it. Right. But even if it's 10, 15 minutes, five minutes, uh, I, I'm willing to do five minutes a day, every single day. Mm-hmm. I, I, I already do more than that on average, but if I'm willing to, to do it, I know that it makes me feel better even when I don't want to do it. Yeah. So shouldn't we be doing the things that make us feel better in a good way as opposed to doing the things that make us feel better in the moment, mm. but they ultimately make us feel bad in the long run? Yeah. You know, they're not nourishing on a on a sort of life level. Ryan, looks like we got a bunch of surprise questions this week. Ella, not my Ella, but a different <laughs> Ella. Although Ella does have a Twitter account. Yes. At Ella Sandwich, for those of you who want to follow along. My, my seven-year-old daughter has 
well it's not really her account we just we we capture in the ether anytime she says something crazy so let me i'll show you the tweet that she tweeted this morning and by she <laughs> tweeted i mean i tweeted it for her ella sandwich and it shocks me when she makes these declarative statements like this she said i wonder what it's like to be on the moon i want to be an astronaut and find out but first i want to be an ice cream worker a dog walker and a fashionista how does she know what a fashionista is <laughs> that's exactly what i said then i'll be an astronaut so she'll be like fashionista turned astronaut and i'll be honest i don't think i even really know what a fashionista is me either and then she asked her mom and me left where do i have to live to be a fashionista oh my god <laughs> maybe she's thinking of a fascist <laughs> <laughs> yeah i'm anti-fashionista yeah um yeah here's one here i think my favorite is is uh what did she say? I'm a carrot slut. <laughs> yes. <laughs> She's like four years old when she said that. <laughs> Here's one. Do you think Ryan got chlamydia from the koalas? <laughs> you're going to need to start recording these. I don't believe she said that. I just think I just think you're looking for an opportunity to make fun of me having chlamydia. No, I showed her a picture of you. I don't have chlamydia. Uh, with a koala. And Who's this at? We were in uh, Australia. Oh yeah, we did, we weren't holding the koala. We were like it was like over your shoulder. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Um, you you've probably held one though, haven't you? No. Okay. No. Well, I, yeah, I said, well, there was Ryan with the koalas, mm -hmm. and I said, you know, did you know Ella that most koalas have chlamydia? And, oh. And she goes, do you think Ryan got chlamydia from one of the koalas? <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, I don't think it works that way, sweetheart. <laughs> That's pretty funny, dude. But yeah, these are all context-free quotes. At Ella Sandwich. Anyway, different Ella asks us a question here, Ryan. What's the difference between decluttering and going minimalist? Ooh, okay, so I, I, hear, I, have, I think I have an answer for this. This is like asking, what is the difference between hammering a nail and becoming a carpenter? Mm. Right? Yeah, I could see that. And like so, that. so decluttering is one of the tools in your tool belt, mm -hmm. belt, and a very important one. One might even argue the hammer is the most important tool for the carpenter to have. Sure. Right? Uh, there are other important ones in there, obviously. But the the most versatile everyday tool for the minimalist is is decluttering. Yeah, there are a bunch of different ways. Multi-purpose. It's a multi-purpose tool, right? Mm -hmm. Because there are different rules and everything there. But the minimalist is is a broader statement than that. Mm -hmm. A minimalist, in terms of lifestyle, I'm not talking about minimalist art like Donald Judd or or Angus Martin or or you know, uh, minimalist literature like uh, Laurie Moore, Brad Easton Ellis. These are different things. Uh, they're minimalist in their own fields. What we're talking about is minimalism in terms of well-being or lifestyle, mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm. and, and I think that type of minimalist uses the tool of decluttering, but they use a bunch of other tools as well to live an intentional life. Mindfulness, their relationships with their self, their relationship with the truth, all, all the things we talk about and love people use things. And they use that tool of decluttering to remove the excess to focus on what's actually important. Yeah, I love that, man. Yeah, I mean, I use it to, I don't know, to like develop and I continue to develop the power of letting go and, you know, ultimately when you can let go of those, those desires that we know aren't going to make us happy in the long run, you talked about it earlier, uh, we can live a more meaningful life. And that's what it's about for me. It's about, uh, getting the excess out of the way. So not just the excess stuff, 
but the excess desires, mm. getting all of that out of the way so I can focus on what is truly important. And you know what? Sometimes I move something out of the way and later on I'm like, oh, you know what? Actually, that is important. Yeah. I shouldn't move that out of the way. And that's what? okay. But that's but that's the journey that uh, that you and I are on. Absolutely. And I, I think you bring up a good point. Decluttering, it often, we think about it as stuff because physical clutter is when we think about when we think of clutter. Mm-hmm. But decluttering goes beyond even the stuff, right? Mm-hmm. You can declutter your relationships. Yeah. And I remember in our, our first book, Minimalism, we wrote about the three different types of relationships, the primary, the secondary, and the tertiary, what we call the peripheral relationships. Mm-hmm. And reorganizing those relationships in an effective way allows us to remove that clutter and, and uh, that relational clutter and it's not that we think people are bad or evil or whatever but if we spend all of our time with co-workers and acquaintances we don't have that precious time to spend with the people who are closest to us the ones we love and so uh, relationship clutter is a big one health clutter i think creative clutter all of these distractions we have mm-hmm. digital clutter yeah we can declutter all of these things, and it is a tool in order to live a more minimalist, or even if you don't like the term minimalist, a more simple life. <laughs> it's so funny, dude. Like, we're the minimalists, you know, because the domain was available for seven bucks. But it's funny how it was hard for me to own that for a while yeah. because it, you know, it just sounds so um, extreme. Right. But, you know, I mean, that's, I, I've like obviously grown comfortable with it. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's 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 just the label. Yeah. And, you know, labels are important to an extent. Yeah. But when it comes to living a good life, you put whatever label you want on it. Right. Whatever you want to call it. Amen. Von Ross has a question for us. I love that name. Von Ross. Please share how you guys do your own New Year's cleaning up. And how do you deal with the journals and notebooks when decluttering? I'm a college student, so it's a bit difficult for me to do that. I'll, I'll start with the first one here, and we okay. can talk about the journals actually you know what? i'm going to start with the very last sentence here because that to me is is important to point out first all right and then i'll circle back to the beginning here she says i'm a college student so it's a bit difficult for me to do it mm-hmm. now you could replace college student with anything yeah and it's also going to be true you could say but I am a construction worker, so it's a bit d- difficult for me to do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I am a mother, a stay-at-home mother, so it's difficult for me to do it. Yeah. Uh, you could say, but I'm a nurse, so it's difficult for me to do it. Sure. We're always going to have an excuse, and even the best excuse yeah. is still an excuse. And so I get that it may be more difficult as a college student, but th- I don't think that's actually the difficult part, the fact that you're a college student. Well. You know, it's it's interesting. The way I the way I kind of look at this last sentence is when you're a college student, there are things that you you do need to keep throughout your uh, throughout your degree. Um, it, it like for example, first off, it is very broad, right? Mm-hmm. Do it. So like as a nurse, let's replace it with let's replace college student with nurse, and let's replace it with scrubs. Mm-hmm. So yeah, you're not going to be able to get rid of your scrubs if you're a nurse. Sure. Um, as a college student, I had um a bunch of like calculus and precalculus notes, mm-hmm. and I actually did have to go back and reference some precalculus stuff. But right. guess what? When, after college 
And when I was, you know, going through my packing party, I came across all those notes and I'm like, I don't, that chapter is over in my life. Yes. I don't need these anymore. Right. So the question is, is what is appropriate for this chapter in your life? As a college student, you're going to have to have some textbooks. Bingo. You are going to have to keep some notes. Maybe but, you are going to keep some journals. But I love your analogy, man. I think it's great. The nurse and the scrubs. Mm-hmm. If you're a nurse, Ryan. Yes. And you have 40 pairs of scrubs. Right. Then all of a sudden it's like, ah. Oh, but, uh, but I'm a nurse, so it's difficult to get rid of them. Well, yeah, you're right. not going to be able to get rid of all of them. Right. What is a, I use the word appropriate. Mm-hmm. What is appropriate? And the same is true for Von Ross here is, yep. hey, what is appropriate? And then get rid of that which is inappropriate. In fact, you could even do a tiny little packing party or, or, or temporarily pack away all the journals and notes and go back to them only if you absolutely need them, see if they fit in your 90-90 rule or whatever, you'll find that most of them don't. Now, we do have a paper clutter question later, so we'll, we'll get into the paper clutter thing and scanning and, and all of that stuff. Uh, I have some new opinions on, on scanning recently. Uh, just real quick, man. I've seen some people have this problem with journals specifically in, in like diaries, mm-hmm. and they like challenge themselves to go through and see what was important. And they start reading and they're like, oh, like I don't even want to put the energy into reading this right now. Sure. So what they'll do is they'll pick out like, I don't know, the last year, you know, maybe the first year that they started writing or something. Like Mm -hmm. they'll set a boundary Mm -hmm. and then get rid of the rest. Right. But once you start getting into those, just like I did with my calculus notes, I started looking at them years later after I graduated college. And I'm like, I don't even know what these mean anymore. Right. Like, I gotta have to retake calculus. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, um, you definitely don't need as much as 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 you your your impulse is telling you for sure, Von Ross. Now, the beginning of that question is, please share how you guys do your own New Year's cleaning up. I, I kind of do this at the do beginning you, of each month. Do you do New Year's cleaning up? Uh, yeah, but it's yeah. just because I do it at the beginning of each oh, month. Oh, I gotcha, I gotcha. And so, uh, it's much easier to do it. 12 times a year than it would be to do it once a year or do a yeah. spring cleaning once a year or whatever. You're way more disciplined than me. Uh, it's funny. Like, I really want to be as disciplined as you, but it's like, I, I don't know. It would be, uh, it's weird. Like, I instead of having a plan at the beginning of each month, it's more like when it piles up and it starts to affect me and I'm like, oh, shit, I need to do something. Yeah. Um, but being as disciplined as you, like having as neat of a house and is all the minimalist aesthetics it would, it just wouldn't be me. I don't even, I don't know how else to explain it. It's not good or bad. It's just, yeah. No, it's, it's preferences. I yeah. think, and I actually, I think you're saying the same thing I am. It, you wait until it gets to a point where you're like, I think I need, feel like I need to deal with this. Mm-hmm. That just happens to me monthly. <laughs> I got you. Okay. Yeah. And, right. and it happens to me much more because I have a family mm. and I have to help Bex and Ella, and they also help me with it. Well, Ella, or Bex helps me much more than Ella does. She mm-hmm. Ella likes to try to help. Yeah. Um, but uh, as kids uh, do. Yes, and I love her for it. And we try to get her involved in stuff like this. But um, yeah, we just take a trip to the Goodwill with stuff that we want to donate. Um, if you have a really good local donation center nearby, you can go to donationtown.org and find a good one for you. In fact, they'll even pick up big items for you a lot of places will a lot of charities mm-hmm. uh so a lot of non-profit organizations come and pick up stuff that you no longer value ryan and i when we first moved to missoula montana all those years ago from from dayton and we got all of our furniture from one of those places called donation warehouse yeah and so we had all this mismatch <laughs> i still crazy have stuff i still have some like mi- mismatched chairs yeah they're in from there they're in lesses now yeah i uh 
that little desk you got, remember that I put the L brackets on to recycle? Yeah, we, three bucks. We bought it in Phillipsburg, Montana. Yeah, that thing finally broke down. But yeah, I still have a couple of those items. And it's not even clutter. It's just that, I, yeah, I kind of like the mismatch. Yeah, you, you continue using them. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, you're, you're actually more utilitarian than me in that way. And I can appreciate that. So uh, I think what's nice about that is even though we have different aesthetic preferences, there's you appreciate the aesthetics, even though you wouldn't want it for you. I really appreciate the aggressive utilitarianism, mm. even though I wouldn't want that necessarily yeah. for me. Right. Yeah. So there are different things we can respect and, and ultimately appreciate. Uh, what do you do with your own New Year's cleanup? I just do it. Uh, basically, I, I, I donate. But then what we do is we kind of do it. Maybe I, this is a new uh, a new thing to talk about here, Ryan. Hmm. I, I think about it as a visual packing party. Hmm. And and so Bex and I a few times have played the minimalism game, even as minimalists. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've gotten through a whole month even mm. uh, because of Ella. I just threw all her toys out <laughs> in front of her. <laughs> 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 Horrible. Yeah, no, I I found that that um when we when we do it together, we sort of just we we scan the house. So each room, we have a relatively small the apartment. I don't know what it is, nine hundred square feet or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, a living room, two bedrooms, and we just sort of go through and it, okay, like it's funny if something's been sitting there for a while in a room, mm-hmm. you stop really paying attention to it right it becomes a fixture in your home Mm -hmm. Uh, figuratively but sometimes literally it's just been sitting there forever that you're used to it being there remember we had bobby burke on the podcast oh yeah one of the things he's a great podcast yeah he recommends he's from a show queer eye and uh he he was so good Uh, i loved having him on the pod but um we should bring him back i know they have a new season of of the show out totally yeah but um He's a lot of fun. Yeah, and he's an interior designer. And the one thing he talks about is changing up decorations quarterly. Mm. And I, well, I haven't really done that because we don't have we have some aesthetic decorations. I don't have things you can put away or whatever. But it does give your house a totally new refresh if you just move some books here uh, from there. If you change just a few things, it's not like getting new furniture or anything. Mm-hmm. It's moving some things around to add a freshness for the season. Mm. And so I think I want to try that out this year where uh, we're not necessarily acquiring new things. We're moving things around the the sort of few decorative items we have, mm-hmm. shifting some things around just to keep it fresh in yeah. a way. Cool. And uh, I, would, I would recommend that as well. And if you try it out yourself, let us know in the Patreon comments. Amy has a question for us. I need help with my paperwork clutter. What documents do we really need to save? I talked to our accountant about this yesterday, Ryan. Interesting. Yeah, and because you know taxes and it's a new year, et cetera. And it, thankfully, our accountant, we have an accountant who holds on to ra- records of everything. Mm-hmm. So I don't have to have paper copies of all of it. Yeah. I have digitized all of my tax stuff. Mm-hmm. Now, here's a better answer for you, though. And I got this uh, this from one of our patrons. Actually, let me see if I wouldn't be able to find it right now, but it's uh, on the community tab. On Patreon, we have a community tab where the community all interacts with each other. Yeah. And the title of this post on on Patreon was Ask First! Exclamation point. And uh, this woman said, you know, I got rid of all of our paper clutter. I scanned it. I did the scanning party that you recommend at theminimalists.com slash scanning. Mm -hmm. And... You can see what scanner we, we use there. But honestly, you can just use your phone now as well. If you have a, a phone with a good camera, Apple Notes is a scanner. Yeah. That, that scans things just fine. 
And so uh, if you want to feed photos and stuff through, it's a little bit different. You can buy a, a relatively inexpensive uh, paper or photo scanner. Ryan and I share one mm-hmm. with the whole community. You know, Bex has used it. Mariah's used it. Everyone has used it, right? Yeah. And so um, you, you can do that or you can just take pictures of things. But there's one thing you should do first. Uh, we need to mention this with the scanning party is if anyone else's stuff is involved, you have to ask first. <laughs> Why do we need to say this? People uh, should just know. Don't steal your partner's stuff. You remember in Atlanta, the uh, the gentleman who brought his daughter in and he was like, it was you know the Q&A portion. He's like, I just need you to explain to my daughter why it was okay that I threw away all her stuff. <laughs> I don't think I was at the Atlanta event. Yeah, you were. It was it was during 2014. Oh, okay. Yeah. I'm trying to remember that one. Anyway, um, um, it was just funny because like our answer was, you need to ask first. Of before. course. And his daughter felt. Oh, I. It's not like I was trying to you know justify, um, her anger and mm-hmm. and frustration, mm-hmm. but like when we got her back on that like she was like dad see like you please respect myself anyway i don't know why we have to like throw this out there like you should just realize you don't just throw away other people's things that's the worst way to get anyone's buy-in yeah yeah totally agree i'll tell you what i have and i have a a small file cabinet at home i mean very small it's one drawer right Mm -hmm. next to my desk basically Mm -hmm. and uh it is almost it is nearly empty but it has uh actually it has a bunch of printer paper in it just so i can print i I do have a printer at home to print these show notes here yeah but um we have one file cabinet and there are a few important it's a locked file cabinet Mm -hmm. i have my birth certificate in there yeah social security card yeah title i have the title to my car in there i have the title to my my car as well i have my passport um i have the the absolute essential documents i'll tell you what i don't have in there though Hmm. i don't have contracts anything i actually i i do have uh printed out life insurance information in there uh the bex for bex and mm-hmm. for you we have business life insurance yeah. as well yeah. and so uh, but i don't have like if i have a we just we signed a, a french contract recently for all four of our books and i don't have that contract printed out and put in the file cabinet no i have a digital copy of right it, and that's fine i can yeah. fish it up whenever i need to totally fine when it comes to financial and tax records they say you're supposed to keep the last seven years they be meaning the irs Mm -hmm. Uh, but my our attorney and and uh accountant Mm -hmm. he's both for us he he has those and so i don't have to have those but Mm -hmm. if you don't have an accountant that keeps printed out versions of those Mm -hmm. then you'll want to have seven years of the bare minimum accounting information for your taxes but other than that, I can't think of anything else I would want to keep. Patrons, let us know in the comments if there's anything that you're like, I absolutely have to keep. I know some of you are going to say, well, um, my kids' teeth or what, which is a weird uh, – uh, no, it's not weird. It's just it's weird to me. Yeah, right. right. Um, although I remember me too. Uh, recently I found um, – you know, we used to do – we, we told Ella about the tooth fairy thing. We never lied to her and said it was an actual fairy that stole her teeth in the middle of the night. Mm-hmm. But it was a fun, fictitious game to play, just like Santa Claus. We don't lie to her about anything. And so um, with the tooth fairy, the one night, and it, we, we still wanted to play the fun game with her. So we'd get under there and we'd like leave candy or I'd leave like, you know, um, uh, I don't like a squash or something under mm-hmm. her pillow. Mm-hmm. Uh, when we'd take her pillow and 
or not, not, we take the tooth from under her pillow and hide it in so that she wouldn't find it in the morning or whatever and i found a, one of her teeth like two years later oh my goodness oh because it was in the it. top of our closet i forgot that i hid it there at the very very top oh, and i reached crazy. up there and there was this disgusting tooth and i'm, I'm like oh my god how many years whose is this and i remembered it's, it's <laughs> whose tooth one's. is this why are there teeth is there a body in here oh my god what is going on uh so yeah i don't recommend holding on to just about anything except the absolute essentials and uh i don't know jordan sean are there, is there anything else that you two hold on to i know you don't have a mic oh you do have a microphone maybe you could tell us gosh not much at all i know i'm thinking like um, lease mortgage but even that stuff like it's yeah. all that's digital yeah. all digital for me yeah. I, I and think, backed up on the cloud too i think that's important to say right yeah i think right uh, photos of the kids you know yeah. the family yeah. and and uh, from a writing standpoint, I mean, I keep uh, copies of some of the stuff that we've worked on uh, just to show um, my skills as an editor, Ooh, right? Yeah. I hang on to that. And yeah. then uh, I hang on to some personal writing. Sure. Um, but, but again, that's all, digitized. That's all digitized. Yeah. Yeah. There is yeah. um, there's a copy of Love People Use Things, a printed paper copy on eight and a half by 11s in yes. my desk. Yes. And I even took a picture of it and sent it to you and, and Bex and said, mm-hmm. you know, if anything happens to me and the internet blows up, right. there is a copy of this book yeah. um, you know, that, that is printed out uh, before it is, it is actually released. Mm. But once it's released, I will also incinerate that and it'll be, it'll be gone. Right. right? I, I'm, I'm a bit torn on this because if you go to the, uh, Sean, you shared this film with me called, what's it called? California typewriter. Is that, Oh yeah, yeah, California typewriter. That's a great documentary. Yeah. yeah, and so, but John Mayer uh, has about eight minutes of of commentary, and he's in there, and he wrote a lot of his lyrics on a typewriter for some of the newer albums. Hmm. And what's really fascinating is he still has the the papers, mm. right? Mm-hmm. And what you see if you go to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame is you see initial drafts written on like hotel napkins and and uh, whatever. Um, so part of me is like, yeah, but wouldn't it be cool to have like, what if we took every time we have show notes that have writing all over it, wouldn't these end up in a museum one day? (laughs) No, I don't actually think that about us. Right. Um, we're, we're not famous people. And, and so what, what I'm realizing is that a lot of that is, is my own ego that forces me to hold on to certain things. Yeah. And I want to be far more utilitarian when I hold on to stuff. If it's the birth certificates, if it's Social Security card, uh, those things, I'm, th- those are emergency items in a way mm-hmm. that if I truly need them, I want to be able to break them out. Um, but I hope that I don't ever need my birth certificate for anything. I'd probably be just fine without it. Yeah. Uh, but if I ever do need it, I do have access to it. But everything else is digitized, and I have double backups for certain things. Uh, I have a, a hard drive in a drawer, and then I also have everything backed up to Dropbox is, is what I use. Yeah. You can use whatever you want. Bernie has a question for us. Are there any good reasons to wait for events like New Year's or spring cleaning to get started? Some people need a fresh beginning. Mm-hmm. So... I don't knock people who are like, you know what, on New Year's, we're going to start this. I mean, you need a start date. So, look, if you're using it to actually start a good habit or to make some really awesome changes in your life, then great. Is it necessary? I mean, yeah. for me, it's not necessary. Right. Um, in fact, I think the way that I've used it in the past was an excuse to just 
keep doing bad things until that's right. And then when it got to that date, it was just that much easier to procrastinate even more. Um, now, why is that? That's fascinating because January 1st rolls around and it should be like, all right, I'm ready. Let's do it. Yeah. But that's not always how it works out. No. And, and um, it might be like two or three days of like really doing well. And then it's just, if you're procrastinating, you're procrastinating. It doesn't matter what the date is. Yeah. And, yeah. and, and I like it as a, um, if you're not going to procrastinate, but say you want to start at the beginning of a month for something. Use that other time to sort of, you know, when you work out, you warm up, mm-hmm. especially when you're our age, mm. <laughs> you have to warm up a little bit, right? right? And, you know, you get on the bike and there's like the, the 60 seconds of, of warm up. Or, Dude, it's funny. Uh, this is totally unrelated to what you're, well, it's related to what you're saying, but that has nothing to do with minimalism. In football, uh, so this, the 2020 season, there was no preseason games. Yeah. And they have had more injuries than like, like you know, three, four, five, six times the injuries in the season wow. because they didn't have that pre- that preseason to, to warm up with. I don't yeah. know if the NBA is, is like that at all with... No, it's been surprisingly... But they they sort of had a, a pseudo-warm-up yeah. um, period because they're all in the bubble, right? Yeah. Or they were all in the bubble, right. obviously. So anyways, I'm sorry, man. So yeah, warming up is important. For yeah, sure. and so like if, if it's like, well, you know, the... the the new start date isn't for two weeks or whatever. Use that time to, to warm up to, yeah. or prime the pump, whatever analogy you want to use here, mm-hmm. because then when you start, you'll have some momentum. So don't, don't, if it is an excuse to procrastinate, I think it's a terrible excuse, but sometimes, yeah, I think it's great to have a reminder. So if it's yeah. a, if it functions as a reminder, like, Oh man, you know what? Springs right around the corner, spring cleaning, mm-hmm. then great. If it's an excuse for you to do good, great. If it's an excuse to do bad, then terrible. Don't do that. Anders has a question for us. How do I get rid of most of my cleaning supplies and which cleaning supplies should a minimalist use? Man. Well, this episode is brought to you by Clorox. <laughs> uh, Mariah, um, she's very deliberate with the cleaning supplies we have. So, like, she's pretty sensitive when it comes to chemicals. Yeah, me too. So she, she has chemical sensitivities. Yeah, but yeah. there's, like... Um, I don't want to sit here and say brand names because the brand name is not important. But ultimately, we have like some multi-purpose cleaning things that like you can use for the counters, and you can also use for the floors. You could also use for um, I'm trying like the bathroom. Yeah. So there's like maybe like the the things that are separate are uh, things to clean glass. Mm-hmm. So like I have not been able to find something that'll clean the countertops and glass. Right. So like there's two separate cleaning products right there. Yeah. But I don't think we have more than two, actually. Yeah, no, I think that's great. In yeah. fact, I, I think that the the ultimate utilitarian, there's one ingredient. Water. Water. Yeah. That's it. Now, in fact, I've talked to several doctors about this. I know that with 2020 and COVID, mm-hmm. we've all panicked a little bit too much. I think my personal opinion on this... What do you mean? It's January 5th, man. COVID's over. I know, but we, we panicked <laughs> for an entire a year, Almost, right? Yeah. Um, Hopefully it's over. But yeah, we, we've decided in the new year, now it's over, That's right? That's right. Yeah. I just vaccinated Sean this morning. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> He's like, what'd you poke me with? <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> Shut up. You're vaccinated. <laughs> uh, just him and Putin's daughter. Oh, my goodness. Um, no, I, um, I, I've I, talked to several doctors about this, and one of the problems we have is, is with overly sterile environments. In fact, we had oh, the, yeah. a podcast episode with Joel Green. Bex and I did it, um, and 
he was just talking about how you know if you look if you compare Finland to Russia, mm-hmm. the immune systems of the children in Russia who are exposed to the dirt and the grit you know, when they're right next to each other, right? Finland and Russia, right there. Yeah. Versus the the Finnish, you know, the pristine IKEA world right. uh, of Helsinki, then you. Their immune system is not as robust, not as strong, hmm. and the same thing's happening to us right now. Mm. When we sterilize everything all the time and wipe everything down, and 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 use the what is that stuff called Purell on our hands? I refuse that stuff now because I, I I've realized that that will we need we need to inoculate ourselves against viruses, right? And so yeah. the doctors that I've talked to, I'm certainly no expert on this. I'm not a doctor. But the majority of them have said that you know, being exposed to a certain amount of that is a good thing. It's, it's a balance, right? Yeah, it's an immune system upgrade. You don't want to like be covered in crap, but you don't want to be completely pristine. Like there is, you want to be boring the bubble, right? Exactly. Yeah, definitely. And, and so, I have this article here, Ryan, from the Cleaning Institute. It's yes, uh, cleaninginstitute.org. org. We'll put a link to this in the show notes. But it's talking about cleaning product disposal. Right, mm-hmm. and so it starts off by saying people don't typically dispose of cleaning products; they use them up. Empty packages can then be recycled or discarded with other household waste. Mm-hmm. Unused amounts of cleaning products can generally be safely disposed down the drain or in the trash. That's not the case with all products found around the home. So I think that's important. Right now, a lot of people are listening to this, Ryan. And they're like, well, you know, I've got 15 different cleaners. How does Ryan just have, you know, Windex and you know, Myers soap or whatever Myers it is? Myers multi-purpose, yeah. Yeah, right. I have the same two, by the way. Yeah, but those are the two things I have. Is, yeah. and I sadly have not found anything that cleans glass better than Windex. And I know you people are going dude, to tell I got me something for you, dude. Do you really? I do. It's a um. I'll have to send you a link to. It. I forget the name of it, but it's a car, it's a car window cleaner uh-huh. that I got for my car, and I was like, I'm not going to buy Windex. You know, because I already have this car cleaner, and Uh then we started using it. It actually does work really, really well. Really? Okay. Anyway. Um, But anyway. Anyway, there's there's two. There's two cleaners. Two cleaners that I have. Right. And you could get by most things, and and I think it's the reason Bex has such a robust immune system. She grew up on a farm, and, you know, she had all of the exposure to all these microbes, right? Mm -hmm. And I think that what we're doing now is we're overly sterilizing and yeah. I, I like a sterile look you know I like pristine look mm-hmm. but when you realize when we overdo it it's actually bad for us mm-hmm. that's a bad thing and so if i if i were to look at my cabinets right now i had 15 different cleaners i'd identify the two that i wanted to use mm-hmm. now for you maybe two it's not two that's appropriate I use that the, the Meyer soap for my toilet as well yep. i use it for the bathtub yeah. i use it for the floors uh, I use it to clean Ella. <laughs> Wait a minute. <laughs> Have you ever seen that meme about castile cast soap? That's what I use in my my shower to clean <clears throat> me, though. <laughs> yeah. It's uh anyway yeah it's it's because on the bottle it talks about all the things you can do with castile soap. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, it's yeah. Keep going. I know. I was the meme though. Oh, it just gets into like. Uh, you could flush your eyes out with it. You could brush your teeth with it. Like it's just it gets, it's pretty funny. <laughs> I listened to this naturopathic dentist who recommended, and he had some good scientific uh, studies behind this, um, and also anthropological um, observations about brushing teeth with honey. 
Hmm. Which sounds so counterintuitive to it me, does. but he explained why. I'm gonna, yeah. I, I, there's no way I'm gonna find find. I'm, I was gonna say we'll find it, put a link, but there's no way. But yeah, you guys have to trust me on that one. I haven't done it myself, so if you do try it, you can let me know how it goes. Uh, no. It's not something I'm I'm certainly recommending. Back to the cleaning products, Ryan. <laughs> Back Mo- to our sponsor. <laughs> most of those can be poured out safely down the drain. Yeah. However, there are some that can't. There's a link in this article about what to do with the hazardous waste. So mm-hmm. if you have hazardous cleaning products, first off, why? Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. But there are some things like a can of paint. I have a can of paint in our little sure. uh, closet. And uh, if I were to dispose of it, I can't just pour that down the drain. Right. Uh, but you can get rid of hazardous waste. So there's a link to the Cleaning Institute article in the show notes to this we have a question here from dangerous days how do i convince my spouse to declutter without her getting emotionally distraught well stop trying to convince anyone of anything yeah and instead of convincing force her (laughs) (laughs) no don't do that isn't it interesting like we we're always trying to convince other people of things Uh uh-huh and you know i haven't ever seen anyone get convinced of anything really i mean if anything there's always exceptions to the rule what do you mean i've I've, you've convinced a lot of people you were in sales for 12 years but they were already interested Uh in being convinced yes but like to so okay so uh, you haven't changed their mind necessarily yeah so maybe that's what change them yeah right yeah so i've never seen someone get convinced with a good argument to change who they were as yeah. a person. So maybe that's a yeah, maybe that's a better way to say it. But what I have seen is that when people try to convince another person to change who they are as a person, it just makes that person seed even more into who they are, sink deeper into what their beliefs, what their values are, especially if your wife's getting emotionally distraught when you're trying to convince her. Yeah. You're pushing her further away. Right. Yeah. Well, what's uh, think about the best ways to convince someone? Uh, it's not, it's not. Hey, I'm here to do this Mm-mm. for you, or you should do this. Mm-hmm. You're telling them the what, when really they need to understand the why. I never jumped up and said, "Hey, Ryan, look at me. I'm a minimalist, and mm-hmm. you need to be a minimalist too." That would that would seem crazy. Yeah. And instead. You came to me and said, why the hell are you so happy? And we started talking. And that was a benefit you noticed. Right. And then we started talking about some of the other benefits, whether they were financial benefits. Yeah. They were uh, decluttered space, cleaning less. That's mm-hmm. a benefit, right? There were better relationships, improved time management, health. There were career implications. There was debt implications. There were all of these benefits associated with simplifying my life Mm -hmm. why simplify understanding the benefits help people understand the why and once you know the why Mm -hmm. there are a bunch of what's there are a bunch of how to's there are different paths to get you to the why it doesn't matter what path you take and you and your wife may actually take a different path toward simplicity Mm -hmm. and that's okay because if you end up in the same place isn't that where you want to be anyway yeah well the one thing i'll say too like if you go way out of your way to support your wife if you go way out of your way to show her that you are giving what you can to the relationship if you go way out of your way to respect her then you might be able to go to her and say hey i need some help are you willing to help me Mm -hmm. 
And that's not convincing someone. That's just simply asking someone for help. Those five words. Or would you be willing? Yeah. So maybe try to take that approach because in relationships, I mean, I think you're always, we were having this conversation the other day about when you're in a relationship, you're always going to give up something. Yeah. You have to. Yes. There's no such thing as a relationship where you find the perfect partner and neither of you have to give up something. Yeah. Only if you're a parasite does that work. And yeah. None of you listening want to be a parasite. Right? right. Now, Ryan, I have this other article here. I misread the title at first. I thought it said Decluttering Your Significant Other. <laughs> now I'm disappointed because it's actually called Getting Decluttered with Your Significant Other. Uh. This is also from uh, Joshua Becker, but it's uh, his website, Becoming Minimalist. And this is a guest post from uh, Rachel Crawford over at The Abundant Life with Less. And there are, it's a long article. We'll put a link to it in the show notes. Uh, but she talks about, I think it's three different ways to get decluttered with your significant other. I'm just going to go through those three things. Let's see if we agree or disagree with her or okay. with each other. Number one is choose fewer battles. Don't swap your clutter for conflict. It's just not worth it. Mm. The people in your home, and that's that's where um, Dangerous Days is right now. Yeah. He is choosing the battle yeah swapping the clutter for conflict yeah that's a terrible trade-off i'll take clutter over conflict amen yeah i don't want it either honestly right uh but but if you had to choose yeah there's healthy conflict uh sure but but this isn't something we should be conflicted over we need to be able to go into it together Mm -hmm. the people in your home are far more important than eliminating the excess stuff the fewer battles you take on, the better. Minimalism won't reduce the stress in your home if you're constantly arguing about what should stay and what should go. There are moments when I feel getting rid of that monstrosity of an armoire is a battle worth fighting, but it only takes a moment for me to remember it's just not worth it. I'll pin that. And I'll say uh, we we do need to express how things make us feel though, mm-hmm. but not in a way that is blaming or shaming the yeah. other person. You can name the thing without shaming the person. Yeah, I don't or think or blaming the person. Yeah, I don't think you get really far if you're coming at someone accusatory. Yes. Yeah. So naming without blaming or shaming. There's something there that's tweet worthy, although we'll let podcast Sean figure that out. But if you <laughs> name what it is, say, hey, I just want you to know I'm really stressed out by this. I'm not accusing you of it. In fact, Bax and I just had this conversation with respect to a financial thing last night. We were talking about something. I said, I just want you to know there's, there's no blame here. Um, I don't think we've done anything wrong. Mm-hmm. I don't think you've done anything wrong. I don't think I'm in, in the wrong here, but I do want to bring something to your attention. Now it's private. It's personal. It's not something I'm going to talk about uh, here because it is, is so personal. But um, I, I said, you know, we just need to work toward a solution together. Mm. And I want you to know that this is not a judgment of you or a judgment of our relationship. Mm-hmm. It's simply something I, I feel like I need to express. Mm. And if would you be willing to, would you be willing to those five words? Would you be willing to let me open up about this? I love how you're uh, approaching it in a way that you can tackle it together. Because may, maybe there's something there for dangerous days here, which is instead of accusing your wife, talking her into something, convincing her. Yeah. How can you show her a path that both of you can walk down together? Right. Yeah. Right. Number two is circle back. If there is an item 
or more likely items in your home you can't agree whether to keep or donate opt to set it aside and circle back later sometimes a little more experience living with less can help continue working through some of the simpler areas of your home strengthening your decluttering muscles together there's rarely an item that needs to be eliminated eliminated uh immediately that is assuming it isn't leading to an infestation of some sort. Okay, mm. yeah, of course, if there's termites in the thing, you probably need to get rid of it. Right. That goes without saying. Drop the debate and keep making progress in the areas of your home you can agree on. I think that's so important yeah. because quite often people are like, I'm so overwhelmed by these sentimental items. Let me start here. Yeah. Well, duh, that's the worst place to start. Let me start with the things that are most difficult to get rid of. No, 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 no. Go to the back of your closet to the things you haven't worn in the last year. Mm-hmm. That's where you start. The things that you're like, I hate that shirt. Why do I still have that? Mm-hmm. Get that momentum you need by getting rid of the things you can definitely agree on. Yeah. All right, number three is move at a pace you're both comfortable with. My husband is a really fast walker. It's not uncommon for him to turn around and find that he's either 20 yards ahead of the rest of us or we're all half jogging and somewhat out of breath trying to keep pace with him you can only journey as fast as the slowest member of your family mm. ah i love that i love these three tips i, I agree with all these yeah i think they're great yeah. we'll put a link to this in the show notes you can check out the entire article dangerous days all right we've got a, a few more questions here ryan let's see if we can sort of lightning round some of these uh, we already talked about burnings let's go to shubs question how do you let go? I find it so difficult to do it. You got to practice, Shub. Practice makes perfect. Um, man, I, I think when you go without, even if you're depriving yourself of something, it, it, it changes your perspective. Your perspective will be changed one way or the other after you've deprived yourself. Either you're going to know that, man, you really needed that thing, mm. or you're going to realize that you didn't really need it at all. That's why I like the packing party because it kind of – you, you deprive yourself temporarily of things uh, that you can totally bring back into your life. With my packing party, if I really wanted to, I could have unpacked everything and put it right back in its place. Right. Um, so, so yeah, try a little stoical experiment to see what you need and what you don't need. Don't confuse decluttering with letting go as right. well. Yeah. I think that's really important. Sometimes you might get rid of something, but you haven't let it go yet. Yeah. Maybe you got rid of that chair or that T-shirt or that apartment that you really loved but was too expensive i say loved and quotes here i wouldn't say you should love a thing obviously but the the thing is you might let go of it physically but you also have to let go of it emotionally mm-hmm. mentally and i think the best way to do that is to first loosen your grip that's the only way for us to let go i think is by loosening our grip we have a question here from miss black I've been online shopping like crazy during this pandemic. Any advice for folks like me? Holy moly. Yeah, I mean, here's the thing. Uh, I'll tell you what I do with my shopping cart. Uh, online, On where's the place we all buy stuff from these days? It's Amazon, of sure. course. Yeah. Unless you're like Ryan, and then it's just Reebok.com. <laughs> That's the only place he shops. That and CircuitCity.com. Are they still around? The, the website is, yeah. Oh, wow, that's it's great. Like an, uh, yeah, I mean, someone owns the property. Uh, anyway... Uh, Here's what I do. I, to, we have something called the 30-30 rule in the mm-hmm. minimalist rule book. 
And I've ex- I've expanded a little bit farther. It's the 30-30 rules. If it costs more than $30, I wait at least 30 hours. Mm-hmm. Well, now it's like if I want to buy anything from Amazon, I need to add a little bit of friction Yeah. because it's it has no friction. And when there's no friction, you lose traction and you slide all over the place. And so I think that's where Miss Black is right now. She's sliding all over the place, She's- careening from one purchase to the next. She has to have some friction in her life. Yeah. And so the way that I add friction is if I want something on Amazon, instead of the dangerous one-click button, mm-hmm. I just click add to cart. Mm-hmm. And I do that throughout the week. And then Sunday night, I have a little reminder. I go into the cart. And I swear to you, I delete 70, 80, sometimes 100% of the items in my cart at yeah. the end of the week. Yeah. Where I'm like, and I feel good about it because I've given myself that extra distance between the impulse mm-hmm. and the purchase and thus it is no longer an impulse purchase so I, I would try that or at bare minimum try the 30 30 rule we also call it the wait for it rule matthew has a question for us what to declutter first your mind or your physical space i th- go with your s- physical space first i think uh well you said it earlier the external clutter is just a physical manifestation of what's going on inside of us yeah and if you start with that external clutter, um, you know, there's, I'm not a firm believer in feng shui, but there is something about sitting in a, in a clean space that helps me think clearer. Yeah. There, there is an energy. We, we talked to Rob Bell about that a few months ago, but there is an energy that is present. In fact, there's even, uh, I, there's some essay I've been working on for a while now, and hopefully it'll come out soon. It talks about how there's no such thing as nothing. Mm. Like even within the nothing, there's something. Mm-hmm. And, and what I like, there's space between us, Ryan. But if there, we even name that. It's called something. There's space between us. Mm-hmm. It's we're not saying the nothing between us. Mm-hmm. And when you even get down to the literal level, there's oxygen between us, mm-hmm. right? And and there is light between us. Like there's there's no such thing as, as as nothing. So we better have the right kind of nothing in our life. And and so an empty room isn't filled with nothing. It's filled with opportunity. Mm, I love that, man. Who has a question for us? Mike Brewer. This is our last question for the Maximal segment. How do you guys approach and handle the mental and emotional clutter that can come from a year like 2020? You know, I love this question because, well, I talked, I think I was, was, maybe it was on this uh, Maximal, maybe it was on the Minimal, but about living in, in a tent in the middle of nowhere and as long as I had access to like, you know, food, all the necessities that I need to live, right. my, my wife, uh, access to some friends that I could be happy. I'm kind of, we're kind of in that situation right now. I mean, we are in Los Angeles that you have access to everything. Well, not now. Right. You don't have access to hardly anything. Right. Um, but because of living a simple life, I have worked so hard on... Um, he said hard on. <laughs> I've worked so hard <laughs> on just having things in my life that that adds value. So um, whether it's with my physical possessions or whether it's with my relationships, the way that I keep a a clean mind is I keep a, a clean life as much as I can. Yeah, man. The best way to turn down the, the volume is to not turn it up in the first place. Yeah. Unfortunately, you may have been steeped in the goings-on of the last year. It was easy to be steeped in it. We turned the volume way up. Mm-hmm. I think quite a, in the pro, in the moment, it was so subtle. It was a slow ratcheting. If you're watching this on video, you, I'm turning the knob so slowly. It's almost unnoticeable 
how much we turned it up because we turned it up so slowly. But over the course of an entire pandemic, mm-hmm. all of a sudden it was like, wait a minute, I'm consuming news three times a day. We're not, we didn't evolve for this. Yeah, we didn't, we didn't evolve to know that someone in New Zealand, someone in Sudan, and someone in Norway are all suffering at the same time. Mm-hmm. But now we do know, and we have, we we have this access to it. We have this suffering machine in our pocket. It leads us to all the suffering in the world. Yeah. So we better choose carefully because that's what empathy does. When we when we overdo it, we f- start feeling everyone else's suffering. We all have some ability to be empathetic. The reason I, I often say that empathy is overrated as a virtue is I think it's an important virtue in small doses Mm -hmm. but when we feel everyone's pain all the time it's crippling it absolutely is and so what we want to do is turn the volume down look at the discrete bits of input that you can control mike brewer mike's actually a friend of ours he we worked with him in the corporate world many many decades ago a lifetime ago i believe it was and um i would encourage you mike to find where you have control uh, where, where can you turn down that knob yeah. and where can you influence the people around you to help you turn down the volume mm. in your presence or in your life? Because guess what? If it makes them happier, then it'll make you happier. If you're happier, it'll make them happier and more content. Ultimately, that's what we're striving for here is not happiness. We're striving for a sort of equanimity, a tranquility, right? Yeah. The, the Greeks called it eudaimonia, Ryan's people, the Greeks. <laughs> they, they called it eudaimonia, which was a, a particular kind of everlasting or long-lasting, not ever, uh, long-lasting contentment. And, and, and ultimately, we're striving for joy, and that involves other people. Well, it's hard for you to be joyous when you're so mediated by the the media fire hose of, of information. So yeah. find a way to, to turn that down so you can focus on what's going on right here because no matter what's going on in the world around you, it matters much more what's going on in my house than what's going on in the White House. Yeah. And, and if I look at what I can control in my own backyard, I'm gonna feel a lot more contented by my ability to control that because I don't have any control of what, what they're doing. All right, y'all. Thank you so much for being here. If you are a Patreon, well, you are a Patreon supporter. You're listening to this. <laughs> Thank you so much for being a Patreon supporter. Yes. You keep the lights on, literally, uh, this light in the studio, and also these lights that are on uh, behind me and, and Ryan. Mm-hmm. And uh, you keep the lights on at Podcast Sean's house and at, at Jordan's. Um, and, of course, Jessica, me and Ryan, we really appreciate it. It keeps the podcast advertisement free. We think advertisements suck. And we're grateful you decide to spend this time with us. Amen. It, it does not go unnoticed. All right, y'all. Love people. Use things. We'll see you next time. Bye. The minimalists. <laughs>